Hey, I love what the Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 10, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. Think about that. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. That word strong tower, it means position of advantage. It's that high tower, right? It's that position that brings safety. It's that position that gives you the advantage. And, the, and that is found in the name of the Lord. But I love the second half of that. But the righteous, as a particular group of people, those who are right according to uh, what is right to be with God, they are right with God according to God's standards, right? The righteous, a particular group of people, run to it, and are safe. See, hear me now, please. The righteous, they know where to go. The righteous, they know where to go to be in a safe place. And that's found in a strong tower, that position of security, that position of a, of a high tower, that position of advantage, that is a place of safety. And that is the very name of Jesus. Come on, can we say thank you to Jesus? Come on, amen. Man, it's so good, so good to be with you this morning on this Sunday morning. As you know, we've been in this reality, uh, reality check series for quite some time, and it has been a doozy. We are pumped about this. I've asked Pastor Jerry to speak a few times. He crushed it. I'm asking our executive director, Matthew Brian Kolb, to be a part of this series. Uh, I, you know, I'm excited about today's word. Please hear it. Pay attention. Get your pens out. Be ready to take notes. This is fantastic. I was in the first service. I'll be in this service. Fantastic. But it's, it's kind of one of those note-taking uh, services, a lot of history. And I'm pumped for my man, Matt. I'm pumped uh, for him bringing forth this word. He's got a handle on this. This is why we're going this direction, man. Amazing. Koblinger, let's go, baby. Koblinger. Love you. Love you. Middle name. You just used my middle name. If you use my middle name, usually it means I'm in trouble. So I'm really hoping I'm not in trouble. But when my mother said, Matthew, Brian, Cole, you got in the house right now. So it, is, uh, it really is a pleasure to be here today. I had a great first service, and I'm excited that you guys chose to be here. Second service, I'm honored to be in front of you today. I appreciate Sean as my mentor, my pastor, my friend, uh, my coach for my volleyball team, all things. Uh, I'm appreciative, too, that when he said you need to be taking notes, that no one got up and left. So now is your opportunity right now. If you're just like, I'm out, I'm not taking notes, I'm out of here, we'll send you the uh, Cliff Notes. Are Cliff Notes even still a thing? Does anybody even know? Probably not, because you have your internet. It tells you how old I am getting. But, um, but seriously, I'm excited to be here today. Sean, um, even honestly, go, going back a few months, more than a couple months now, had reached out to me and said, hey, Matt, just be thinking on this, be praying on this. I'm going to be doing a reality check series coming up. I'm not sure when, probably October, maybe late summer. Just give me your thoughts on if there's a topic that you would want to speak on when it comes to where do we need a reality check? And I wish, I wish that I just had one thing, right? And that was, the, that was part of it. It was just like, well, it's here and it's, it's this and uh, we really need it here and oh boy, this. But what kept speaking to me, probably because I'm a parent, I've got two seniors in high school, they're twins. I've got a freshman in college and this last few years, of course, has been crazy, as most of you guys here know, who have kids in school, whether it's homeschool, public school, higher education, you know these last few years have been challenging. And for me, personally, what kept coming back time and time and time and time again was our education. Reality check, our education. What are our kids being taught? What does a classroom look like today? What are teachers, classical teachers, Believers in Jesus Christ in the school system today, whether you're preparing lunch, driving a bus, a coach, a teacher, you name it, what is it like for these guys on the front lines teaching our kids in school 
today. So that's where we're going today. We're going to talk about our education, reality check. What is the condition of our schools today? Come on, God, thank you for today. We do thank you for just an opportunity to gather and be in your word and worship you. We come before you, um, just humble people, God. Let us just come before you humbly and just asking you for advice, God, asking you for direction, asking you for clarity, asking you for your wisdom. God, I thank you for anybody who's here today as a guest, first time. Just let them feel at home here today, God. Let them just feel the warmth of the loving people that we have as part of this amazing church that we get to call our church home. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, quick question. This is a classroom setting now. Raise your hand if you loved history class. You just loved it. Man, there's probably more in this room than set first service. So, okay, so, you know, like, let's say 10%. I'm being generous right now. I was not one of those people who loved history class. In fact, we had like a, something in high school, if you memorize the Gettysburg Address, you literally improved your grade by one letter grade. So I could have gone from an F to a D. And I got to four score and seven years ago, and I'm like, I'm out. Like, I can't do it. I think I even tried to play it in my head with like my Walkman overnight while I slept, and nothing stuck in my brain, so... Um, but it's going to be a history lesson. We're going to start off at least with a history lesson. We're going to get into God's word. We're going to see some amazing examples, even from the Old Testament, as to what I believe even speak to what you're seeing in classrooms today. But before we do, I do need to kind of step back a little bit. How did we get here? Where did we come from, right? Our country's less than 300 years old. So if our country's less than 300 years old, that means our school system in the United States of America has to be less as well. Our founding fathers strongly, strongly, strongly believed that God and his wisdom was a foundation for education. They actually looked to the Greeks as a blueprint, so to speak, for their education system. And of course, the Greeks believed that God's word was the compass in which everything needed to be directed. Let me say that again. God's word was the compass in which everything needed to be directed. Your education, right? Your government, your society, they encouraged debate. We're talking about the Greeks. They encouraged it. They loved dialogue, like a healthy dialogue where you could debate one another and you could say, man, great debate. Great debate. It was essential to have good citizens with virtue and with morals. In other words, in order to have a free society. And what does that mean to say to have virtue? That's basically your character traits that define what you do. They define your actions, right? So this was paramount. We're talking about school-age kids. We're talking about the formation of our education system, but yet this is what they believed. God was a standard. So as a founding country, when we started, and we're going back to the early 1800s in this now, we believed in two things. We believed that the Bible, and we believed that a liberal arts education was the bedrock for building our education system. Now, some of you guys just like heard a word, and you're like, wait a minute a liberal arts education. I'm not talking about underwater basket weaving. We're not doing that right now. A liberal arts education actually has its roots from something very interesting than what it does today. A liberal arts education actually referred to having liberated citizens. Liberated citizens, free citizens. If you take the Bible and you promote it to free citizens, you can flourish as a country. You can flourish as a country. Early classrooms looked much different than they do today. If you were in a classroom in the 1800s, you'd have six classes, not periods, right? No bell. It was a flowing, fluid class that you'd go into. You'd start with grammar, 
Then you'd study logic. Then you'd study rhetoric. And you're like, rhetoric, that's a class? It is. Rhetoric is basically the use of dialogue to have conversations, to negotiate, right? To get things you want. And that can be done in a good way, right? Those were three classes. You also studied geometry. We all love geometry. But that was for the purpose of building. Think about it. If you're a carpenter in here today and you know what a speed square is, you understand geometry. You understand angles. They studied astronomy and they studied music, but all from the Bible. It was the original textbook. It's what they used to teach their children. The main purpose of higher education was for what? It was to train ministers. So if you're a college student in here today and you went to college in the mid-1800s, first of all, they didn't have to call them Christian colleges because they were just known as colleges that trained ministers. They equipped people to go into the world and evangelize. Now, maybe their profession wasn't to be a minister. Maybe they were going to be in public service, maybe a governor, maybe a leader of a new frontier or a new city that was being built as the West expanded. Maybe they were in finances, Maybe they were in business formation, but yet if you were a higher education graduate, which was very rare, by the way, typically only the wealthy could send their kids to college. It was for nearly the sole purpose of training ministers. Take the Ivy League schools. You would not see this today by any way, shape, or form, but if you go and you look at their crest, just go study the crest of Ivy League schools. Very few of them have even been changed today. In fact, all of them, most all of them still reference, we're talking Princeton, Yale, Harvard, Brown. They almost all reference the Bible, literally pictures of the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament. The second coming was actually within their crest. Theology was actually known as the queen of the scientists, sciences, excuse me. And most of our important breakthroughs in science, in science even through the early 1900s, actually came from our Christian schools. Again, not having to be classified as a Christian school or a non-Christian school. Believing in God, learning from God. These were our two two of our cornerstones to our education system. By the early 1900s, there was only 18% of high school age students who went to high school. That makes sense, right? Farming communities, boys just stayed on the farm, maybe small business in small towns, whatever that might be, but not even to go to high school. By the 1940s, it was 70%. We're talking high school. And of course, today's day and age, it's, it's almost unheard of if you're a high school age student and you're not going to high school. Education topics were added in the early 1900s. Everybody's favorite, gym. No, not nap time or lunch, but gym. Gym was added. Social sciences started to become a thing in the early 1900s. Your vocational shops, right? We, during the First World War especially, we started to teach young men in particular how to start building things, getting ramped up to our industrial revolution. This was a big thing. But here's something that took place, and this is what I want you to start keying in on. Religion was encouraged as a class to be taken off campus. This is high school. This is not college. These are kids with no cars who had to go to school from long distances away. But if you wanted to take religion, you had to go do it elsewhere. And you look it up. Education topics, like I mentioned, but in the early 1900s, we saw something happening. We saw money in large amounts being put into especially our higher education systems by a very wealthy family known as the Rockefellers. If you don't know the Rockefeller family, which I don't know personally, but just put dollar signs next to their names. And they began to pump a huge amount of money into our public higher education schools to do what? To separate from the church. In fact, the big push at the time was that religion is anti-science. 
You still hear that today. Religion was anti-science. So we need to get, the schools need to get away from the church. And a lot of people ask, and I had this asked in the first service, well, isn't this really where separation of church and state came about? Absolutely not. First of all, it's not even in the Constitution. Second of all, it has nothing to do with churches being involved in state business. It has everything to do with the state business being involved in our church. Words like progressive education started popping up in the early 1900s. What's progressive education? It's simple. It just means we need to progress. It means we're not good where we are. We need to progress, but we're doing so without a biblical compass. Politics was entered into your kid's education. In the third grade, most of us were not alive during prohibition. Prohibition was constitutional amendment to outlaw alcohol, okay? Think about this though, early days, early 1900s, you have a lot of Protestants, you have a lot of Germans. This wasn't an easy task to do. How did they do that? It's simple. They inserted into the third grade in classrooms among a huge sector of our country, pictures and stories that depicted angry men at home as it pertained to alcohol. Seems simple enough, but what happens within a few years there's actually an amendment to remove alcohol altogether. First time that politics showed up in school. If we get rid of God in the classroom, get rid of God's word in the classroom, however, it means you have to replace it with something. So in other words, if you're gonna get rid of truth, you have to replace it with something. And here's where I need you guys to hang on for a minute. Because I'm gonna mention some words like nationalism. And to you guys that might nationalism. What's nationalism? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what nationalism is. It's a, it's a love for our country, right? Who doesn't love our country? Our country is a God-given freedom that we have to live in the United States with God-given rights not to be trampled upon, right? But in the early 1900s, we introduced Flag Day. What could be wrong with Flag Day? By the way, when you go into a community, what are the two buildings that typically always have a flag? A post office and a school, it wasn't soon after that that 1931, you saw the national anthem. And soon after that, the Pledge of Allegiance. We all know the Pledge of Allegiance, right? The Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, not so fast. In 1954, President Eisenhower added the words under God. Prior to that, for 50 plus years, it was known as the Bellamy Salute. So if you were in school in the 20s or 30s or 40s or even early 50s, children would rise up out of their seats at the beginning of a class day. They would lift one hand in the air. And this is not a, referral, a reference to a Nazi institution. This is, actually goes back to the Roman days where they would salute. And they would basically pledge allegiance to the flag, not under God. We also saw things like school pride, proms, homecoming, school sports, remember your letterman jacket, all celebrating something, all honoring something, but not God. Now, there may be people in this room who have served our country, and I thank you for doing so. There may be people in this room who have fought for our country, and I thank you for doing so. This is not about whether it's wrong to pay homage or salute or love our country. This is all about what was removed from our kids' education and then what had to get inserted somewhere. We know that the enemy comes not as a prince of darkness, but as a prince of light. So we can look at these things and sometimes say, wow, it makes sense now from that 30,000 foot view to look down on this and say, wow, all this was happening at the same time the Bible was being removed. By 1962, it was unconstitutional to start the day with prayer. By 1962, it was also, you could not require the Bible to be taught in school. You could not require it. By 1965, you couldn't pray out loud over your school 
lunch. By 1979, our amazing federal government officially took over ownership of our education system known as the Department of Education. Today, there's 4,400 employees at our Department of Education, and they have an annual budget that was passed last month of $88 billion. In the 1990s, they actually had to remove any artwork in public schools that depicted religion. Now think about that. Think about early day artists, Michelangelo. You think about some of the greatest artwork we have. Typically, what did it depict? Religion. So that's what education in America looked like in the 1800s, and then what changes we've seen in the last 100 years. Now let me just point out one thing. I just gave you like the 90 mile an hour versions of what just took place within the last century. I strongly encourage you as parents, as concerned citizens, even as students who are old enough to research it and everyone in this room above fifth grade is, go look at it. You can almost take a year by year, decade by decade happening of what took place from the Bible being removed and what we've seen ever since. So what's it look like today? What's it look like for your kids today? What's it look like for our education leaders, our teachers, our faculty, our board members who are in this room, who are believers, who are on the front lines, what's it look like for them to educate today? Well, first of all, your kids are in school seven hours a day for 180 days out of the year. Less than 67 years ago, that was almost half in terms of days out of the year. We're taught that our social sciences can and should solve our societal problems of today. We're taught to be yourself right? Focus on your attitudes. Focus on your feelings over your thinking. Rigor is almost entirely being taken out of school. Now, if I have some children's class age all the way up through college, I apologize, but there are some facts to this that you're a third, uh, there's only a third of the amount of time required today to study than even a decade ago, one third. And you're three times more likely today to get an A than you were. Three times. I need to be a student these days because I would have done a lot better. We teach to the middle, and that's a fact. We teach to the middle. We've almost entirely removed the Civil War and World War II from our history books. Let me say that again. We've almost entirely removed the Civil War and World War II from our history books. That means when your children are being taught history and they get to that time in our season, so to speak, as a country, you skip right over the Civil War. Some important things happen in the Civil War. Do you see a correlation even between that and to what we see today in critical race theory? We'll get to that. Evolution has been taught for some time now in our public schools and still is today. We're taught math can now be racist. We are taught critical race theory, but here's the thing you have to know. Critical theory is nothing new. Critical theory has been taught for decades in your kid's school. We were taught critical theory in school. It, it means this. It means to be critical of everything. Be critical of everything. Think about that. Think about that as it relates to you and your relationship with your parents, you and your relationships to your boss. Criticize everything. Kids are being taught division. It's being taught. They're being taught gender theory. They're being taught queer theory. Not to mention medical requirements that are even as of this week are being changed. Not to mention what they've experienced just in these last few years in this COVID lockdown. What our kids are experiencing today, what they're living through today is unlike anything we've seen, not just in our generation, I'm 50 for those in mine, not just in the generation prior to me, and we might have some folks here, but we're talking about in the history of our country, 
We've never seen anything like we're seeing today as it relates to our kids. We talk about whether or not this is working. There's only a couple benchmarks I can look to, and one just actually came out this week that we've actually, we're at our lowest ACT score standard average in the last 30 years. College education, if you've either applied recently or maybe you're in school or maybe you're parents and you're looking at kids' college education, it's never been more expensive. The loan amounts being taken out have never been higher. But here's something interesting. 40% of kids who go to college leave early. They don't graduate. It's round math because I need easy math. 100 kids go to college. 40 come home. No degree. Of the 60 kids who are still there, 40% of them don't even go into a field that applies to their education. What does that mean? Of the 100 kids who set off to go to school their freshman year, 36 at the end of four, five, six, seven years, if you're me, to get your, to get your degree, actually go into a field that applies to your education. First service, I didn't talk about, but second service, think about teacher requirements. If you're a teacher in here, you have one of the highest levels of education you can possibly have. And I had to look at this up because I saw the stat, but I didn't believe the stat. And that is, if you're a physicist for NASA, you can't teach high school physics because you don't have the educational requirements to teach it. You're smart enough to launch rockets and spaceships and satellites and do whatever else NASA does, but you can't teach my two seniors, my twins at Allegheny, you can't teach them physics because you don't have the right education. So what do we do? I mean, again, this, this morning I have a short period of time with you, and so part of it is like, here's where we've been, here's where we are now, but of course we have to answer like, well, what do we do? Well, it just so happens, and some of you guys have a copy of it too, but I have the original textbook ever used in our education system today, and it's called the Holy Bible. And I strongly encourage you to bring your Bible every week. I am guilty that sometimes I bring my phone because it's easy and I can text things to myself. But when I do bring my Bible, I'm writing, I'm taking notes, I'm getting into it, I'm flipping pages. If you don't have a Bible, come see us. We'll find you one. But please bring your Bible. And today we're going to start off, we're going to be in the book of Daniel. Now, if you do have an actual Bible, you can almost flip your Bible right to the middle. You'll find Daniel there within a couple books. If you don't have your Bible and you have your phones, it's really easy to find the book of Daniel. Now, you guys know the book of Daniel. At least some of you do. You know it by some of the stories. You know Daniel and the lion's den. It's a great story. You know, of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's a great story. We're in the fiery furnace, right? And they come out alive, and there's someone in the fire with them, and amazing things take place after that. But today, we're actually just going to start in Daniel 1, and we're going to start in verse 1, in chapter 1, because I think it relates to exactly what we're seeing today in large part, but it also gives us insight as to what we can do as parents, what we can do as students, and what we can do as concerned citizens, which we all should be, to combat what's taking place in our schools today. So if you would just read with me, we're gonna summarize here in a little bit, but we're just gonna go from verse one to verse seven. This is the book of Daniel. This is chapter one, verse one. Now in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, King of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of the God. Then, and by the way, always note when there's a little G and a big G. Our God is always a big G. These are little Gs. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, 
the chief of his officials to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. And he appointed that they should educate, they should be educated for three years, at the end of which they would enter in the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, before we get into this, there's a few things I want to just clarify because these are some great facts that I learned, and I think they're important for our lesson today. First of all, when you look in chapter, excuse me, in verse two, you'll see the land of Shinar. Where's the land of Shinar? The land of Shinar was the land of Babylonian. So if you're in Judah, Jerusalem, looking at a map in your head, that could be upwards of about 300 miles to the east was the land of Shinar. Moving then a little bit further, it says, they were to learn the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. What's the language and literature of the Chaldeans? Is this like Spanish versus French, right? Is this like geometry versus trigonometry? There's not a lot actually told about the, the, the Chaldeans. In fact, they were a population that didn't actually exist for very long. But what is important to know is that they worshiped pagan gods, that the rulers, as we'll read, surrounded themselves by magicians, and no, they weren't pulling rabbits out of hats, sorcerers, conjurers who could actually speak to evil spirits. These were bad people doing bad things. And in fact, in Deuteronomy 18, it actually, God calls these individuals an abomination. So we know that these individuals, our four men we're reading about, are being governed, being taught, being led, and being instructed by people considered an abomination to God. Something else that's really important to point out, which I love doing the study, the word study on their names. So their names meant something. Their God-given names meant something. Not like they do today. I mean, my name is Matt, and there's Sean, and there's Job. Job's a pretty good name. Job means something. But I joke, I joke sometimes like, well, Matthew means the gift of God. But people don't recognize that. We don't look at one another like they did back then when a name meant something. For Daniel, for instance, his name, it meant Elohim is my judge. God is my judge. Belteshazzar was his new name. It meant Bel's prince, right? Bel was a pagan god. Hananiah, his name meant Yahweh has been gracious. He was given the name Shadrach, which just meant friend of the king. Sounds simple enough. To Mishael, whose name meant who is like Elohim. In other words, who is like God. He was given the name Shadrach, which meant, excuse me, he was given the name Meshach, which means worshiper of Shaq, not Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq was a pagan god. And last but certainly not least, Azariah, whose name was Yahweh has helped, whose name given to him was Abednego, and that meant servant of Nego. So four out of these excuse me, three out of these four individuals were given names referring to pagan gods, false gods. So I need you to imagine something just for a minute. I need you to imagine that your kids as parents in this room have now been taken from your home, taken from your home against your will. Remember, they besieged the land of Judah, taken from your home, taken a long distance away, 
upwards of 300 miles. Actually, could have been more than that, but let's say 300 miles from their home, taken to a new location, ruled by a group of people who were considered to be an abomination to the Lord. Given choice food, offered alcohol at will, taught things that were against God's word. Imagine that happening today. The only difference in that story in terms of what we saw then and what we see now is that our kids, their kids were forced from their home. We volunteer our kids to do it. We actually go into large amounts of debt to do just this. And you need to see the parallels parallels in this because it's exactly as in the days of Daniel that we're seeing, especially in our higher education today, that our kids are being subjected to things that go against God's word on almost every level. Now, I went back to Houghton just a few years ago. I was a remote student, so I didn't attend school in person, but I was there once in a while, and Sean and I would go for study groups, and we would go to their cafeteria. Any Houghton students here? Any Highlanders? There's a couple. You guys have a great cafeteria. Choice foods, unlimited ice cream, all the ice cream you can eat, right? It's amazing. The funny thing is when you talk to college kids, they think their cafeterias are disgusting. They're like, oh, we don't go there anymore. Meanwhile, you go there and there's every culture you can imagine is represented on a college campus now for food. Now we can, we can argue that, okay, Matt, we want to keep our kids healthy and provide them food. I understand. But seriously, visit a college cafeteria. It's amazing the similarities. But God also gave us in this chapter, in this verse, in particular these verses, he gave us some things to look at. He gave us what I call some ways out. He gave us some things we can do as individuals, as students, as parents, to combat what's happening today. So we're still in Daniel. We're back in chapter one. Look at just, just look at verse four. Again, for students, showing intelligence, the middle of verse four, showing an intelligence in every branch of wisdom endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge. Again, this is speaking of God's word. Where are we in this as students? Where are we in this as students that we can actually put ourselves in this place to say like, I'm in God's word every day. I understand God's wisdom. I understand his word for me personally, his plan for me personally, his will for me personally, his love for me personally. Jump to verse eight. This is powerful. Verse eight and verse nine. Verse eight, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. And this is actually talking about the the choice foods and the alcohol. But Daniel made up his mind as students, especially high school age, as college students. Are you in that position to say, not me? I'm not doing that. I'm not subjecting myself that. And beyond the food, beyond the alcohol, but to the teachings, to the understanding, like I'm not buying that. How about verse nine? What was God's immediate response to that? And I love that in verse nine where it says, now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander. Now we're going on beyond our readings, but if you go to verse 12, once again, back to verse, excuse me, back to verse eight. Not only did Daniel made up his mind, but he sought permission. It's a very important thing for you guys to understand in this, especially as students. I think about this all the time. What would I be like in school? I'd probably get kicked out. But if I could put myself in this position today and listen to what Daniel did, first of all, make up your mind. Second of all, ask permission, be polite. We have a a home group leader who has a young man who's in college and we've been able to correspond a little bit and he actually goes into debates, 
right? Actually goes into debates, but is very polite about it, asks permission to do so. You can go against the teachings you're being given and go in favor of God's word by doing so in a polite manner. He sought permission. Once again, in verse 12, please test your servants. He's being polite. Test your servants. We're ahead of this reading, but now we're getting into the part where basically Daniel says, hey, I want you to test us on this. I don't wanna eat the food. I don't wanna drink the wine. Just give us vegetables. Give us water daily. Do that for 10 days and see what happens to us. Just please, out of respect. Verse 17, I love this. And as for these four youths, this has gone beyond the time. So now they've, they've been tested for 10 days. They've eaten the vegetables. They drank the water. To some of us, that may be like, there's no way. There's no way they're gonna look healthy after that. Actually, they looked healthier than anybody else. And in verse 17, and as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. And Daniel, even Daniel, understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And the last thing I have on here for students, verse 19, verse 20. And when the king talked to them, and out of all of them was not like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And I love that they go back and refer to their God-given names. So they entered this king's personal service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and all the conjurers who were in the king's realm. So my question for you is, do you know the difference? Speaking to students, do you know the difference? Can you make discerning statements about what you're being taught that goes against God's word? Can you make a discerning distinction. Wait, that's not what God says. Wait, that, no, 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 no. This is not what the Bible says. I heard from a parent who said, my daughter is writing things down today that she doesn't believe in order to get a good grade. My daughter's writing things down today that she doesn't believe in order to get a good grade. So my question is, how long before your daughter's writing things down that she now believes? The same things. Some people refer to that as indoctrination. It's repetitiveness. In some parts of our culture, it's amazing. If my son or my daughter, so to speak, if I had went into the military, there's an important piece of that, right? They need to be indoctrinated into that lifestyle, into that, so that they can then go and defend our country and others of freedom. That's important. So that word doesn't always have a negative connotation, but in this case, it does. Can you spot the difference? Parents, can your kids spot the difference? Can your kids spot the difference? Do you have confidence in your own children that when they go to school every day, they can walk out of that classroom, periods one through seven or one through nine, depending on the school they go to, and just say, nope, they're not falling for that. Nope, when they write that down, they might even put, per the author of this book, evolution is, do they know the difference? Can they spot the difference? I've asked uh, the tech team, and I love the tech team, thank you guys for what you do to put up, and this is for parents, but before they put up, the, you guys can put the verses on the screen, but just go back and look at verse four for a second. Again, Daniel chapter one, verse four. We know that there were youths in whom was no defect, who were good looking. Parents, you guys can take credit for that. Showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding. That means to be handed down. That means to be given both from parents and from God. And discerning knowledge. Discerning knowledge is to have in your mind what is right and be able to discern from what is wrong. So for parents, this is where we get the title of our message, Reality Check Today. Train up a child in the way he should go. 
Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I love this message because even if you go into the book of Daniel and you go beyond chapter one to the point where these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are almost ready to be thrown into the fire. And once again, they stand up to the king and they're like, we're not gonna bow down to your false image. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And Deuteronomy says, these words which I am commanding you today, these words, this is going back to the Old Testament. This is going back to God's commandments because this is, of course, the reference they had. This is the book of Deuteronomy. This is one of the first five. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your gates. What are they talking about? They're talking about commandments. They're talking about God's word. They're talking about God's wisdom. And I, I, I sent myself a text this morning that I, I opened up another verse. You don't, you don't have to put it on the screen. I appreciate you guys up there. But this is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, because this is referring, these guys are referring, of course, this is being referred to in the Old Testament and they're referred to as, as the commandments, 10 commandments. But 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, all scripture is inspired by God. It's beneficial for training, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. That means walking in the right way. Sean talked about that today. So that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. So as parents, and you guys can put, you can put those back up, for, especially for Deuteronomy, where are we in this? Now, I mentioned your kids are in school seven hours a day, 180 days out of the year. So do you think that when you rise up or when you go by the way, meaning when you're walking, when you're going, when you're going to the store, when you're going to the sports game, when you're in your car in the morning, taking your kids to school, wherever that may be, are you in the word? I'm not saying that it's not okay to just talk about what's happened in their day and talk about your favorite sports team or whatever that might be, but are we in the word? As parents, are we in the word? Are we teaching our kids the word? Knowing that what they're receiving from school goes against God's word, are we combating that with the word? I've also asked the tech team to put up a couple verses just for our students who are here today. And I appreciate our students. I love our college ministry. Uh, love the bridge and what Sean and Renee are doing there. But for kids, hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. In Ephesians, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, it's, it's easy just to read those words and say, yeah, that really sounds good. But even that last part to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, let me just point out a, a fact. Who remembers actual discipline in classrooms? And I'm not advocating for punishment. And I know we've had examples of that. I don't get that. I was raised, and again, I'm 50. I was raised in an elementary school where you got paddled. You got paddled. I remember two teachers' names all through grade school, Mr. McFadden and Mr. Crosby. You want to know why I remember their names? Because you didn't want to make them mad. Because you went to the hallway, you bent over, you got paddled, you cried, you walked back into the classroom in tears, everyone knew you got paddled, then you went to the principal's office, then your parents came, and then you had to go home and you had to deal with it all over again. 
Now, something happened, and we won't get into politics, but there really was a shift in our viewpoint, even towards discipline, and I'm not advocating things that would punish your children. I know that we've had, we had bad examples, certainly using our media, but I'm talking about any type of punishment. Did you know that today, if you're a teacher in a classroom, it's almost impossible for you to send the kid to the principal's office? They don't have to do anything. They don't have to respond to your punishment, so to speak, even if that's like, hey, I need you to step out in the hallway. Hey, that phone is a distraction. Can you please put that down? Hey, can you please not be talking to your neighbor? Nope, you can't make me. And they're right. Reagan had a great quote. He said, the philosophy of a classroom today becomes the philosophy of our government tomorrow. The philosophy of our classroom today becomes the philosophy of our government tomorrow. And I'll take it a step further. Reagan was a great president, but I say it shows up in our military. I say it shows up in our movies. I say it shows up in our entertainment, our commercials. I say it shows up in our music. I say it shows up in our sports. I say it shows up everywhere in our society, in our culture. We are in a spiritual battle. And let me point out something to you. The enemy has been at play and consider this the long game for the enemy. This did not happen yesterday. This was not because of COVID. This did not happen just because the most recent administration took over or the one before that or whatever your political viewpoints are. This has been a long game. This goes back to the late 1800s, early 1900s, all the way through generations now have been impacted. impacted. Decisions have been made for your children's education that affected you as parents who once were school kids. And now we're seeing the fruits of that, so to speak. But we do have an amazing opportunity. I honestly believe even me as a parent, again, I have three kids, teenagers. I saw things in COVID I would have never seen before. When I say COVID, I mean the lockdowns. I heard my teachers teaching to my kids for the first time. I, I, I was like part of their education process for over two years. They were at my kitchen table and thank goodness they're not all the time, but I'm just saying they were in my house with their Zoom calls, doing class every day. It's time to take back our kids' education. Fact. It's time to take back our kids' education. And you might say, well, well, how? Like, how do I get involved? Well, there's a lot of ways you get involved. First of all, if you are a teacher in this room or watching online as a believer, if you are an administrator, if you are a, two teach, or excuse me, a student in this room, if you're any part of faculty, any part of administration, if you serve lunch, if you drive a bus, if you're considered staff, if you're a coach, if you're a homeschool mom, if you're a school board member, you need to be celebrated. You need to be celebrated because you need to know that you are on the front lines, you are not the majority, and you could be on the last frontier, so to speak, of whether our children's education in this system can be saved. Before three years ago, school boards didn't matter. They were just like people who had extra time on their hands, in my opinion. They were just like wanted to go sit in boring meetings for a few hours once a week. School boards meet everything. I had never been in a school board meeting before a couple years ago. And now when you walk in, like, here we go. Like, armor up. Let's go to battle. Because it's me against you. You don't have the best interests of my kids in all cases. I'm not saying that for all school board members. And I think that when it comes to voting, things are very important, if you haven't noticed that. On a local level, on a community level, on a state level, on a country level. Our education system for our kids has to be one of the most important things we as a society are dealing with today. 
I talked to a, a good friend who had a very important message as it related to that. I've gotten to talk to some great teachers over the last couple weeks, and I appreciate all of you. And, and this gentleman said, Matt, you can typically tell the success of a ministry, speaking of church, by its leadership. Now, we have an amazing leader in Sean. We have an amazing leader in Brendan for worship, amazing leader in Melissa for our kids. But what's that say about our school system? We have schools in our area who have great reputations and great reports as, as conservative base, but it's based on leadership. It's based on superintendents. It's based on principals. It's based on teachers. It's based on school board members. They can make a difference. You can make a difference. I talked to another teacher who's only been in education just a few months, like a new teacher, and already has great insight as to what's happening in our school system today. And he said, honestly, the biggest thing I see is it's taking place at home. He said, I make phone calls as a coach to homes, and most of the time, it's, it's a single parent. And as a single parent, it's got to be hard to raise your kid. But the point he was making, it was just like the home structure, the home dynamics, the home unit, the family unit has been compromised, and it's had a huge impact on our kids. It's had a huge impact on our kids. Absent fathers, huge impact on our kids. Your kids are up against a lot right now. And they, they need us to come to fight for them. These are kids. And I'm even saying that up through college-age kids, these are kids. And now as it relates to our college-age kids, as it relates to parents who have kids that might be going to college, I'm going to say something that might rub a few people wrong. This is my firm belief, and you'll never get me off of this. If college is not required for your child in terms of their direct occupation, and you better know what that occupation is, please don't send your kids to college. Please do not send your kids to college if there's not a plan for that four or eight year or whatever year program that is important and vital to their education. Now we know teachers is one of those with a high amount of education that's required to be a teacher. Most professions aren't. And don't even get me started about student loans. We could do a whole nother reality check on, on finances and debt when it comes to students, but student loan debt is crippling people. And please do not think for a second that your government's coming to bail you out and pay off your student debt because it's not gonna happen. Please do not send your kids to college if it's not required for them to go. Don't send them there just for an education. Don't send them there just for the world experience because we've already learned what the world experience looks like. I love our youth and I love our youth leaders in Breakaway. Why? Because there's great representation there. You've got trade schools being represented. You've got military. You've got law enforcement being represented. You've got people who just went into apprenticeships and they're doing very well for themselves. Whatever happened to apprenticeships? You've got moms and young ladies who desire and are inspired to do what? To be home with their kids. When have we stopped celebrating stay-at-home moms? Dads, it's on us. Like, it might mean two jobs if that's mom staying home with the kids. And I'm not saying homeschool versus public school. I'm saying just be home with the kids. If you're a homeschool parent in here, bless you. It's a calling. I know homeschool parents struggle. We, we were homeschooled. We homeschooled our kids for a couple years. It's a calling. Fight the fight. Stay in the game. Whether you're public school, whether you're a homeschool teacher, stay in the game. Fight the fight. It's worth it. Our kids are worth it. Our education system, there are things happening today that give hope. There's classical Christian schools. There's charter academies. There's things taking place. There's great parental groups rising up to say, enough. I'm not putting my kids through this anymore. You're not going to send my kids to school and dictate that they read pornography, which is taking place in school today. Some of the school books being brought into classrooms. 
Romans 1, and I love this, this is the theme verse for a reality check. It says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Who's the they? Go back in our history. Every time these changes were made, it was made for the right cause, right? Progressive, let's progress. We need to be better than we were, but without a biblical compass. Professing to be wise, they became fools. We're not fools. We have God's word, we have God's wisdom, we have God's instruction. There are kids. The enemy wants them. He wants their minds. He wants their lives. He wants their careers. He wants to divide us against them. He wants parents to be divided. We know that even in the last days, we're, we're told that's going to happen. Daughters against mothers, households divided. It's his plan, and he's been doing it for a long time. We need to step up, fight the fight, get in the game, stay in the game if you're already in it. If you're not, be a teacher. Substitute. You know how much money you can make as a substitute teacher without the education requirements? Be a coach. Volunteer next door. Start there. Start in Melissa's classrooms next door with, your, with some kids, any kids. They may not be your kids, but just get in the game. Vote. Be on a school board. They matter. A board of seven or nine people can make amazing decisions on our kids and the schools and what they're being taught. It's been an honor to be with you today. It's been an honor to bring a message which is near and dear to my heart as I love my kids as I, of course I do. I love your kids as part of this church and seeing what they're doing next door and seeing what they're doing in Voyagers, seeing what they're doing in Glow and Flourish and Warriors and Breakaway and seeing what these kids are doing. We have amazing kids represented by amazing parents in this church, but we need to take this and go out into the world and make a difference. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity, God, to just to be in your word. God, to just allow you to speak to us, God, to let your word become alive and to, what an honor it is, God. What an honor it is to speak today. What an honor it is as us to be able to hear from you today. God, I pray that you have been heard from. I pray that hearts have been just open to this, that people have been inspired, that people are feeling empowered, that kids feel empowered, God, to stand up against the enemy's plan and say, not today, to say, I choose to follow God's way for my life. I choose to study what God tells me to study. God, I thank you that we just have an amazing leadership here. I thank you for the opportunities we have as a church to go into this region and make a difference and make a difference. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name.